Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more.
everyone. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 77. Here with uh, my good friend Macon Phillips, uh, longtime fan and fellow parent who just had his second baby about two weeks ago. And this is his, I think, first outing to, to have a beer and, and also to talk about fish. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. I'm super excited to be here. As you mentioned, uh, in addition to talking about fish, I'm actually able to get out of the house and uh, relax for an hour and uh, talk about uh, talk with one of my my buddies. So uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and we've been we've been working on this for a while. So glad to make it happen. Um, Macon is the former digital director at the White House, and now he's the coordinator at the State Department's Bureau of International Information Programs. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that in your your other work, Macon, as we talk about kind of the influence of technology on fish and and some of those things. Um, Macon's on Twitter at Macon. Um, you should follow him if you don't already. Um, but let's jump in. Let's just talk about your kind of history with fish, how you got into the band, and when you first saw them, and tell us that story. All right. Yeah. Um, so I'm certainly not someone who professes to be an expert of fish, the music. Um, I, I really enjoy fish, um, and I think that folks might find this podcast is a little bit less about the technical ups and downs of fish, uh, as much as just sort of the culture and the, um, experience of, of really enjoying that music. For me, it was, uh, in 1996 when I first saw, uh, fish, I got in a car in Durham, North Carolina, uh, was at uh, Duke university and, and we drove down to, uh, Charlotte for a show. I looked it up. It's, uh, the October 26th show, mm -hmm. uh, in Charlotte. Never heard fish before. I mean, I think maybe if you had played uh, Fee or something, I would have said that's, I guess, familiar. I might have heard it in like, the dorms or something. But mm -hmm. being from Alabama growing up, not really listening to a lot of, uh, frankly, a lot of good music growing up, um, I didn't know at all what to expect. I just was going with some guys I wanted to impress and felt like it would be a fun road trip to take. And so we went, and I was blown away. I thought it was just an amazing experience. Uh, not just because of the music, but because it was like a whole room. And this was the Charlotte uh, Arena. Yeah. I don't know if you know what it's called. Yeah. It's like the whole place just kind of moved up and down with this music. Nice. And everyone knew, knew the words and everyone was turning to each other and kind of completing each other's sentences and like they're singing, you know. And, and of course, there are people spinning, mm -hmm. you know, in the uh, that little band of light that comes in those arenas yeah. at the concourse level. <laughs> and there's all these people spinning around and... I just thought this was just the craziest thing I had seen, and I was—I found myself dancing to songs I had never heard, and I was hooked. And and uh, it didn't hurt that I was a freshman in college at that point, and yeah. so basically spent um, the next four years of my life with Fish and yeah, a bunch of other great bands, but but really Fish uh, is sort of the soundtrack to uh, what we did. Nice. Um, and and then the other the other part, which kind of is how we know each other, um, is Fish is uh, has. It sounds really cheesy, but it certainly had a huge impact on uh, my life in terms of how I made choices. And now that I'm looking back on that, I probably should have factored in some more significant criteria to those choices. <laughs> but uh, I found myself in 2002 uh, not sure what I wanted to do. Um, I was living in San Francisco um, and uh, not really going anywhere fast and moved back to Alabama tried to figure out what I wanted to do. My dad wanted me to go to law school. I didn't really want to do that. And I sort of thought to myself, why don't I move to Vermont? Mm 
Mm-hmm. There's this band I really like called Fish. It's from Vermont. And I'll just pack up the truck and find a job there and get up there. And, and, and I did. Uh, I have to amazing. say, I, I really just wanted to live somewhere where it snowed and a place where a band like Fish could be from. And I moved up there in, in 2000 uh, and I guess late 2002. It's where I met uh, your wife yeah. uh, um, at the time. She was just Rachel in, in uh, <laughs> Norwich. And uh, we were hanging out and um, met a bunch of other uh, mutual friends of ours. And that started uh, sort of the next chapter of my life, including a lot of great fish shows, great fish memories. But living in Burlington and being a fish fan, I feel like are, for me, sort of peas in the pod. I mm-hmm. think of fish very much as that period of my life and very much as what I like best about the community and the ethic of being in Vermont. So fish for me has a very long standing personal connection um, that's more than just the music itself it's certainly about the culture and certainly about uh, the band yeah that's awesome and we're going to play some tracks that make and shows that kind of <clears throat> I think span the length of your experience with them which is which is awesome and you might hear your making's going to open a heady topper because as we're talking about fish and, <laughs> Break and, a little Vermont. <laughs> in Vermont uh, yeah. we had to do that so making just want to go back to the when you were talking about your history with fish, it seems like um, in contrast to a lot of people who who discovered fish through the dead or through other music, sounds like f- it was the opposite for you and fish was kind of your first entry point into other similar music. That's right. And I think we should acknowledge two things. One, that we just fixed the microphone, so <laughs> things are going to sound a little bit different. And the other is that we're speaking in the shadow of a giant Coventry poster, <laughs> uh, which RJ has in this room for sure. some reason, which we'll get to later. But uh, yeah, so growing up in Alabama, I, you know, I wasn't a big music uh, guy. I wasn't someone in middle school, high school who was really into a lot of stuff. It really was just like pop and stuff that made it down. Going to college... You know, it was like that classic scene from every movie about going to college where the dorm windows are open and the music's coming out. And it's like, what is all this stuff? And um, that was awesome. I had a lot of friends who were really into fish, a lot of friends from New England who had been following them for a while. And so a lot of eager uh, tutors to get Mm -hmm. me up to speed on this. In fact, I had uh, one of my best friends from college went to Taft, which is where Trey went Mm -hmm. uh, and was very, very proud of that. And so, you know, a lot of people who were kind of, uh, teach me about um, all this stuff, but yeah, it was it was the beginning. Yeah. It was college for me. Nice, and I think people um, people who aren't familiar with Duke, as you said, you went there, wouldn't maybe think of it as as a as a hippie, you know, a school where you'd be exposed to fish and the dead and stuff. But it sounds like you you did get that exposure. Well, yeah, I, and I think that at, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm I find the culture of fish so fascinating, and fish fans so fascinating. I, I should admit. You know that I was the guy who arrived at Fish. Uh, my first, my first Fish concert, I arrived in a Range Rover. <laughs> All right, I was one of those guys. Yeah. You know, I was one of the fraternity guys who was like into the scene. And you know, it, I look back on that. I, I, it was really fun, but I also get that it was completely incongruous with a lot of other things mm-hmm. that are happening. Um, but that was kind of what made Fish interesting. Is like the lot scene was. Like Range Rover, VW bus, old Honda Civic, grilled cheeses, and you know the latest and greatest sound systems, and, and all this stuff was kind of mishmashed together. It was kind of this uh, equalizing uh, playing field uh, in terms of economics. Yep. Uh, I think demographics and 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 culturally, there's a lot of white people. It was pretty homogenous in that sense, but yeah. uh, in terms of economic, uh, it was really flattening there. So I was definitely I arrived as a prepster. I think that. Since college, 
I've certainly personally become less of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my entry point was like the fraternity uh, scene. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think a lot of people had that experience in different different areas. Um, so wh- what's your take on sort of where Fish is now? Um, how do you feel about what you've seen and heard in 2014, 2015, um, the past few years? Well, I think if, I mean, it's great. I think it's um, like on two different levels. First off, in terms of the music, you know, I think the music is um, – so fun to listen to and I say that as someone who came of age with Fish sort of came to know them in 90, we were just talking about this 96, 97 which for me is like just so it's my sound I've, mm-hmm. I've certainly gone back and I like listening to stuff from like the Colorado shows and the really early on and then one of my favorite albums uh, is the the Roxy shows in 93 mm-hmm. and I love a lot of just the sort of rock and roll stuff that's happening but by 97 I mean it was just funky and you could you just feel you feel the room you feel you can kind of take yourself to a different place because the music has so much of a shape and uh, so much uh, so much energy in it and then of course um, I think things got weird <laughs> we were yeah. just talking about this they got <laughs> super weird yeah. and that tracked actually with when, when I moved to Vermont um you know, I moved up there in 2002 and, and uh, was there until around 2005 and uh, 2006. And, yeah, that was, you know, weird. And the Coventry poster notwithstanding, I think it was uh, <laughs> uh, some, uh, a time to, to maybe move past. What's been great is to see them roar back. And we've been to a few shows together yep. uh, at, at Merriweather. And I think it's just so gratifying to see these guys have come together, drifted apart, and if anything's clear, they are having a hell of a lot of fun yeah. uh, on the stage, and the crowd is too. And I think that ultimately, that's that's really all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And so, I just want to shift gears a little bit. As I mentioned, um, Macon has a, a, a career history working in technology, and and really, I think knows knows more than than most people I know about sort of the evolution of technology, particularly in the music side, has sort of changed the way that we. Uh, interact with music and and how we interact with information in general. So I'd love to just kind of get into that a little bit. I know you worked um, on WhiteHouse.gov and you worked in the White House on the on the digital team, and so you you were kind of at the forefront of when that when data and politics kind of came together and how in opening that information to to people is the way I would put it. You might put it differently, but what's the what's your sort of take on how technology? Influence the evolution of fish and in from the fan side, from the band side, just wherever you want to start. Yeah. Well, I should say that at the, at the beginning, I wrote a paper in college. I ahead of this, I tried to look it up, but I can't find my papers from college, which may actually be a good thing. But I remember <laughs> I took this uh, uh, extracurricular course um, in two thousand. Um, and uh, it was a woman who worked uh, at the Duke Library, and I guess they had a program where people in the Duke community could teach a course. Mm-hmm. And she clearly had been waiting for this for a long time. And she said, I want to teach a course about the Grateful Dead. Nice. And she came with a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty intense. We basically got the um, So Many Roads box set yep. and basically listened to the whole thing. And she would talk about every track, and then we would write papers about it. It's That's kind of a great awesome. gig if you can get yeah. it, you know. Um, but it was half credit. I ended up writing my paper on the... Um, commonalities between fish and the grateful dead in the context of how their fan 
uh, communities organized. Nice. Which I I I I can't believe I actually had an idea that was that durable yeah, <laughs> coming yeah, out of yeah. college. But you know, I think that technology obviously just made that so much easier. What really what really got me into um, I think looking back on it, what really got me into Fish uh, more than any other band um, was first the music, but second the community in the sense that I was someone who did a lot of B and P's. I had someone, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> I had an account at Rec Music Fish. I figured out what the Usenet was and like yeah. all this stuff. And this is like late nineties, early two thousands. I went back and looked at some of my posts, and it's you know, uh, kind of weird to yeah. do that. Um, but I, I just remember like people would post these shows and all of a sudden I would get this like padded envelope right with at first cassettes and then blank CDs and people would include like little extra gifts and things and it was it was this really interesting social network that happened on a pretty uninteract like it was a pretty flat context with Usenet um, and all of a sudden you had all these people exchanging media exchanging uh, music um, and that that really got me into a sort of deeper level with Fish than, say, any other band. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of started there and then, um, uh, you know, that only grew. I, I have to admit, um, now that I've, you know, uh, got two kids and um, working full time, I, I haven't been able to be as close to everything as, as I'd like to. And I can only imagine what the social media scene around yeah. uh, Fish has become. But I think in the same way, it's not to sound too cheesy as someone who came to um, this industry working for Barack Obama in terms of how you use social media, all these new tools, these new platforms, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever the next thing's going to be, um, they reflect the fundamental ethic of the principal organization. So in Barack Obama's case, he was a community organizer. And so they arrived at these tools thinking, how can we use these tools to uh, empower people to go knock doors in their own uh, neighborhoods. How do we make it easy for you to give us a few bucks? How do we actually uh, elevate people's own messages about why uh, you know, the president means a lot to them or a certain issue means a lot to them? It all came from the fact that Barack Obama was a community organizer in Chicago. And I think similarly, the reason that uh, Fish and, and a number of other bands have been really successful is that they fundamentally are about people sharing their music mm-hmm. and about the community around their music. Um, and one of the first choices that Fish made that ensured, to my mind, their success was not just allowing the exchange of uh, tapings of their shows, but encouraging that, yeah. setting aside taping sections, really <clears throat> making sure that that data, that media could be out there. Without that, I think it would be a very different story here in 2016. I, I brought for moral comfort my <laughs> Fish companion <laughs> uh, that book. I bought. Yeah, and I, I was looking at it, it's from 2000. And even then, they compiled the, the community compiled all of the set lists, essays, and all these other amazing things um, with a very, very basic internet. I mean, I, if you think back, it makes us feel like old guys, you know, yeah. to, to think about the tools that were around then. To think that I'm holding this massive volume and there's been 16 years of fish since is <laughs> right. pretty incredible. Yeah. So ultimately, it, it's about um, a band or about a a principal organizing um, group that values the relationship with its supporters or with its fans enough to to share in something and not try to have it one way. And I think that's why Fish for me is a great, great band, great, great American band. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, you know I started doing the the 
BNP scene in the mid nineties. I think ninety five was my first year, and we had dial up, and like it would take a while for the good deal page to load. Right. But then you would, yeah, you'd get the packages in the mail, and then you, you know, you'd maybe meet those people later. And that's an, I mean, it's amazing now. You mentioned social media. A lot of our fans, uh, fans of this podcast, have come to us through Twitter, and there's some amazing conversations happening. And and with the amazing conversations come a lot of bullshit too. You know, people, the people who complain about like why are they playing this song so much, or why don't they play more new songs, or why are they playing so many new songs, or why why don't they play any more new songs? You know, right. it's like. So you get that, you get the the signal and the noise or whatever, whatever the the metaphor is. But you get like you get the best and the and the worst. Yeah, 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 totally. And, and your comment actually made me think of one thing that I I hadn't occurred to me before, which is, um, just I think we're we're pretty lucky, or we need to at least realize that we are very unique um, to be in this moment of transition technologically. Uh, which is to say that you and I went to college when they had car catalogs in yeah. libraries. But if you talk to a college student now, they don't even know what that is, yeah. right? Yeah. They used Simi- to have books in libraries. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, the whole notion of a BNP is interesting um, because BNPs you know, have been done for a long time and, and Deadheads did it for a long time. But certainly Usenet and technology made it much more efficient. You could, yep. like, you know do the deal online and then just throw it in the yep. mail, right? Yep. But now in the age of Fios and high-speed internet, why would you ever do that? It's all <laughs> on the internet, right? right? And so for two or three years, for just this quick moment in time, technology had kind of created these connections but still had the friction where people had to actually take the time to buy the CDs, put it in the, those padded envelopes yep. or whatever, mail it. Right. Remember that whole like you were like, oh, God, I promised this guy to mail it. I just don't want to go to this. You know, Um, for a moment in time, you actually saw um, a very unique kind of transaction that, frankly, our kids will never understand. It's just the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. And there one interesting thing you mentioned about the sort of the the dead. And if you look at like three different bands, the dead and fish and Humphreys McGee as sort of the more cutting edge in terms of technology, all three bands, I think, um, embody that same principle of open sharing, open access, yeah. you know, like take take whatever of our music you want, share it with people, be good people, etc. The dead were kind of, you know, that happened before digital technology. Fish, I think, is like now that technology is so advanced and they're not personally necessarily involved like Trey's not on Twitter, pay you know Mike's on Twitter and Instagram because he's like a weird dude. But like the rest of them aren't really, <clears throat> they don't necessarily embrace technology, but they see it as a powerful vehicle for getting their music out to more people. Whereas on the other extreme, Umphreys is like they have the same um, the same point of view, but they're like they're all on Twitter, they're all engaging, yeah. they're giving their fans headphones at at shows to like listen on to the soundboard you know they're like they're because they're digital natives more or less they're like they're part of that you know in a way that fish wasn't because they just they just didn't grow up with it so i feel like they see it as a vehicle but they're not like they're not personally <coughs> part of it because it just they're they're all a little too old you know yeah i think that's right although i, I have to say having worked in you know this um uh, uh, area for a decade and mm-hmm. more now. I, old dogs can learn new tricks mm-hmm. for sure. Um, 
That said, I don't think fish, the members of fish, the, the boys, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. are, are going to learn new tricks. I mean, I was thinking about this coming in because uh, you, you, you asked me this, you know, what, what, um, what could they do better? The truth is, what do they need to do better? I mean, if you listen to any interview with uh, these guys about particularly their early days, they just love to get into a room together and play. Mm-hmm. You know, they ha- that, that's what they want to do. And so if they have taken on the challenge of coming up with a way to, that they can uh, play sold-out shows around the country, uh, come up with new music when they feel like it, have a hell of a lot of fun. You know, I think they've actually solved for that problem. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's hard to say, what about this new technology? Yeah, yeah. Because if I'm any of them, I'm going to say, well, look, I, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. Yeah. I think a band like Umphreys or a lot of these others, which are great bands, they have a marketing problem. They're trying yeah. to like create... Uh, audience, they're trying to grow. Yeah. I don't think Fish is trying to grow. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> if point. anything, I think the one area that I've appreciated uh, some uh, uh, progress in, and I think that um, uh, you know, from from their their company and from their marketing standpoint, makes a lot of sense, is the live fish, um, the webcasts. Yeah. I think this is one of the most sort of under appreciated stories in media right now um well that's a pretty grand thing to say but i think it's underappreciated yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. the same way that like the whole mlb baseball thing is un- unappreciated uh, as much as it should be which is to say you've got a band that sells out regularly every show when they tour so from market standpoint they're like taylor swift they they decide to go to a place they sell out yeah. right now they're doing $30 a pop shows in people's living rooms which frankly are a lot easier for me yep. to watch uh, and they're doing them really well yep. um, and without a lot of hype. I mean, it's just the way it is yep. and, and it's just worked. So I think that's one area that at least as a fan I've really appreciated is they've they've made accessibility a priority um, where it's easier for me to consume their shows, to watch mm-hmm. their live shows and, and, and certainly love the ticket stub download thing too. They've made accessibility more. But I think there's a important distinction which is the difference between being a musician and a marketer I think when you look at an Umphreys McGee or probably a lot of musicians um, moving forward they're going to be looking at digital digital media as a source of inspiration as a source of delivery for their art I don't think Fish is going to do that I, don't yeah. think, I wouldn't want them to uh, and I think we may find that Fish is one of the last bands to not natively incorporate that into their art that's fine but it's really important that we give them that space and then say as a marketing standpoint, they've really made their music more accessible. They've got the audience they want. And so in terms of innovation on digital, that may be all we see and that yeah. may be all we should. Yeah. Um, for the future bands, they're going to come up with a bunch of other cool stuff and I'm, I'm really excited to see it. But I think that's I think that's probably where, where things stand right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great take and I, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people would agree. And hopefully those of you who are listening... Um, Definitely tweet at us and tweet at Macon and let's have a conversation. Love to hear other people's um, opinions about that. Um, so we want to get into some music that, that Macon chose. Um, I guess first, if you're if you're up for it, I think the work you do is really interesting because you've been in quote unquote government for I don't yeah. know, eight eight ish years now. Yeah, almost um, eight. Almost eight. And I think there's a lot of like there's just the role of government. The the conversation about that is just 
you know, people are like, what does the government do that's interesting or, or yeah. innovative? And I think the work that you're doing at State is, is really innovative. Um, can you just tell us in a couple couple minutes sort of what you're up to and what the goal yeah. is, what you're trying to do? So I'll, I'll, I'll try to start with FISH and then work into yeah. uh, the White <laughs> House and State Department, how that all works. Um, so when I lived in Vermont, after I moved up there uh, in 2002, um, in 2003, I um, met another uh, close friend of mine who worked for the Howard Dean campaign. And we w- had this flop house. Um, one of our other roommates ended up being my wife. So it's all worked <laughs> out well. Um, and and uh, he would come back from work at the Dean campaign and we would sit out on our porch, drink beers and kind of marvel at the fact that uh, you could send out an email and people pull out their credit cards and try to give a few bucks to, uh, to help the campaign. The people would... Uh, go online and try to find people who share their interest um, in Howard Dean as someone from Alabama I really appreciated um, the power of that idea mm-hmm. um, it's, it, you know, in that sense it's very similar to like people who like a certain kind of music mm-hmm. connecting online and you know getting together and, and listening to that together so that social aspect of politics not just the fundraising but the social aspect that technology uh, really could bring to politics um, what really uh, took hold for me then in 2003-2004 I moved down to Washington, worked for a company here doing consulting work with that friend, um, and eventually took a job uh, at the Obama campaign in Chicago, um, and we won. That was a great, great <laughs> experience. Uh, moved back to D.C. Uh, in 2008 uh, for the transition. Uh, 2009 uh, came in the White House. 2013 uh, left the White House to go to state. So basically the White House, we looked at how we can use technology to uh, uh, open up the work of the White House to make sure we're communicating the president's message and to give people an opportunity to participate uh, in the administration. It was an amazing experience. And one of the most gratifying things has been since I've left to see that team take it to the next level. And I I think that um, we'll all look back on those eight years as a big source of pride of how we supported the president, made a big impact for the country using digital uh, at the White House. But in the last two and a half years at State, I focused less on just digital, more holistically, uh, how do we communicate with foreign audiences uh, around the world? And many of you may be thinking, well, gosh, there's a lot of those specific issues right now, and you know, counterterrorism and, um, and so many others. Um, there are specialized teams that work on that. I, I'm dealing a lot more with issues like climate change, um, how we're dealing with uh, new generations of young leaders in Africa. Uh, looking at uh, in Asia, uh, how we're dealing with new generations of young leaders there and the relationship with the United States. Um, Really um, a wide variety of issues, but really getting at the idea that technology has changed how uh, countries, in this case, have relationships not just with other governments, but with the people in those countries. How do we inform them? How do we listen to them? How do we organize to uh, collaborate with them. It's been an amazing experience, and you know the clock's ticking on how much time I have left, yeah. um, and I'm trying to make the most of it. But um, just a exciting time to be uh, to be in government and, and working on this. And and you you asked earlier, you know, why does government matter? Um, what, what's the commonality here? You know, at the risk of being a little bit um, extended, you know, just because I'm on a fish podcast yeah. right now, I'll say. You know, one of the things that I really loved about FISH was its convening power. And I think that's fundamentally what uh, government is. Um, it's this source, this thing that attracts a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life 
to um, an event, to some kind of common purpose. And from that, there's a greater good. Mm -hmm. And so I think Fish is much more modest in the impact of that than government, of course. But with government, um, we have a huge amount of power in the sense that we can bring different actors to the table, that we can um, uh, communicate a goal and then find the right resources, whether it's in our country or around the world. Uh, and that, that's been the, the kind of work that, uh, that, that's excited me the most. Um, and when I think about fish, I think about all the amazing groups that came from fans who were uh, really passionate about the music, including the book that I'm holding and, yeah. and the Mockingbird Foundation. But um, beyond that, uh, so, many other, um, so many other groups that spun out of that yep. community. Awesome. <clears throat> this has been great, Macon. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Um, we want to get into some music now that Macon uh, chose. Um, some really yeah. great, great tracks. Um, so well, gonna... let's, yeah, let me just okay, so, preface this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I love the podcast, <laughs> and I have to say, like, it was intimidating to think, like, what is my list going to be? <laughs> so my caveat here is that I by no means am saying, if you're, like, new to fish, for some reason you've just listened to a half hour of two nerds talking about fish yeah. and you're still new. Like, what are you doing? But yeah. anyway, if you're not new and you're about to listen to this, like I'm not saying this is the best music ever. <laughs> what I'm saying is this is really interesting music and more to the point, it's kind of interesting to me. So um, uh, I hope you'll just take a look at the uh, track list. If you're not into one, skip on to the next, but uh, there's some great music in here, but it's, it's pretty personal to me. That's fair. That's fair. There um, we get, we stray into, near Coventry territory here. We so get close to Coventry. Close to Coventry. That thing that, the, the thing that shall not be named yeah. and that you have a poster of and, uh, in your room. The poster in here is like, it's just to remind me how good things are now. It's like uh, I know. still have not listened to that show. <laughs> I still can't. Um, I think you all will enjoy listening to this stuff. And um, thank you, Macon. Thanks for sharing your perspective. Thanks a lot. And keep up the great work. It's a great podcast. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Macon's on Twitter at Macon. And we're, of course, on Twitter at HFPod. And send us an email with thoughts, suggestions, questions, etc. Um, and uh, enjoy the music. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Baskets off the silver bird horse. 
sink my toes into the ground and set a different course. Cause if I were here and you were there, I'd meet you in between. And not until my dying day, confess what I have seen. Thank you. 
birth beat worker. I'm just in the family business. But for the price of a flagon of rice, the wind buffs the cabbage. You speak of your life, of a willingly locust alert. Confuse what you can of the ending. Revise your despise, so it That's so come the wrath that you didn't quite mask. I'm getting it clearly through alternate paths, so mixed in with the signal you're All the facts that I've learned, sat in the chairs and my synapses. Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun. My thoughts are good, it is a good holy undone. Sweet till I'm old, can I live my But no peace for jazz for tonight. I plug the distress tube up tight. what I say as it flutters away to where all this emotion is kept harmless at bay, not to educate somebody's family. But you cannot learn all the facts that I've learned. I sat in the chairs and my up. Torture of chalk just collects on my tongue. Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun. I'll pass on good to the thing of Wait till I'm walking
facts that I've learned. I sat in the chairs and my sinuses burned. The torture of chalk just collects on my tongue. Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun. My fast hook is intentional, I'm slowly undone. Just wait till I'm old, can I live while I'm young? Can I live while I'm young? Mango 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.